the Sermon on the Mount. So would you give him a great big welcome this morning? Thanks, Thank you, Kyle. I was getting my uh, headphone on this morning, and Kyle walks over. Are, are you speaking this morning? And I said, yeah. And he, and he just said, I'm so psyched. And I thought that was great, because when I walked into the sanctuary this morning, I got psyched. As I walked in, I'm like, there's basketballs and soccer balls and volleyballs and baseballs, and there's just everything in here. I did not put two, two, and two and two together. I did not realize that I was speaking right before Mega Sports Camp. And that's awesome, because I love my sports. Uh, There's going to be a couple of sports things in my message this morning, and uh, that's absolutely wonderful. Um, If you don't know who I am, um, I found it interesting, and I think he's gone now, but Pastor Chris introduced me a little while ago as Pastor Ashley, and I thought, that just kind of woke me up a little bit, because I haven't been called that for eight years now. Um, I'm used to two things now. If you want to get my attention, you can say two things. Number one... Uh, you can call me Laura's dad. Everybody calls me Laura's dad. Uh, Laura is one of the uh, administrative types here at the church. And, uh, oh, are, are you Laura's dad? And I go, yeah, I'm, I'm Laura's dad. <laughs> so you, you might know me as that. Uh, the other name that I get called very frequently, uh, sort of behind my head, is Hey Jerk. <laughs> and, and if you're looking at me and you're thinking, that guy looks familiar. Well, that's because I umpire baseball and I referee volleyball. And so I get hey jerk an awful lot because of my absolutely horrific calls that I make. So those are the two things that you can call me this morning. So this, is, uh, this morning is a little unique in that this is the longest notice I've had to preach a message. It, is, it was over four months ago that I was given this date and that I was given this scripture passage. And lots and lots of time to plan, prepare, pray, and write out the message. So a few weeks ago, as I was preparing the message, I got a call, a text message actually, from a fellow at a church that I I preach at occasionally, and he asked, can you preach on August 4th? I went, sure, I'm free that weekend, I I can preach that day. And since I was already right in the middle of preparing this message, I I just decided, okay, I'll, I'll get it done, and I'll preach that message there. So we're talking about anxiety this morning. So I want to give you just a, just a really quick story of what happened last, uh, last Sunday. I'm talking about anxiety. And I'm in this church, and they were doing, well, let's, they had just finished what, we, what I'll call Mega Sports Camp Light, a much smaller church. And they had had a, a five-day Bible club. And so they brought some of the kids up to the front to uh, sing a song about it. And so when they invited the kids up to the front, um, these guys bigger guys, they came to the front and they sat right down. And they sat right down. And another girl who was probably a couple of years younger and half the size of these kids, she walked right up to the stage where they were supposed to go. And she stood there on the stage, looked over at the two guys who were obviously experiencing anxiety about having to be on a stage. And she went like this. Those two kids jumped up and ran onto the stage. And I thought, well, that's a, that's a recommendation for anxiety right there. They lost their fear of being on the stage. They gained a fear of that little girl. And they did a wonderful job. So what I want to do this morning is to, just to open up this morning, is to illustrate things with a little bit of a video. 
Uh, and again, it's why I'm so psyched that there's all this sports stuff here. We're going to watch a little video this morning, and many of you have probably seen it. I've probably watched it three, four, or five, I don't know how many times, because it's so funny. Basically, uh, let's, let's take golf and soccer. If you've watched either of those on TV, you know that golf announcing is a little different than soccer announcing. So watch this video for uh, 30 seconds here. Cristiano Ronaldo with a shot to get back to even. Really has a chance to sink this one. It should go a bit right to left. But he's got a good look at it. We'll need the ball back in his stance just a bit. Solid contact. And he sinks it. Tigers found an opening on 12. He needs this four-foot putt for par. All he needs to do is take it. Did those announcers belong to those sports? Of course not. It just, it just looks wrong. It looks different. And uh, you're, you get your attention really quickly. Now, I first encountered this type of thing as a young Christian back in the 1980s. I was saved in the 1980s. Uh, my wife and I came from a, a, a somewhat traditional church in, from Hamilton, Ontario. They had hired a youth pastor in the early 1980s, and he had built up the ministry, and there were a lot more kids coming. They did all sorts of things. They did Bible studies and prayer nights and, and weekend events. One of the weekend events that they did was just simply called Gym Night. But it was a wonderful night, and I, being 17, 18, 19 years old at that point, I loved it. We played, we played uh, hockey in the gym and kicked balls around, and as a guy, I just, I loved all that stuff. It was high energy, and I loved going to those things. So when they did that gym night, it was announced at church. They would do their typical announcements. And so one Sunday, I was sitting in church there, and uh, the assistant pastor came up. Now, just a very quick explanation of who he is. His name was Bill. He did, um, shall we say, adult and senior ministries. So he was a little bit, shall we say, not used to talking about the youth events. And he walked up, and in what I thought was the most inappropriate voice ever, he came onto the stage and said this. The youth will be having their gym night this Friday night at 7 p.m. in the church gym. And I, I sat there, and I was like, what? I was a young naive, new Christian at that point. And I almost laughed out loud because of how inappropriate that announcement was. It just did not fit with the context of what that night was. When somebody says something that surprises you, you tend to pay attention. Just like this morning when Pastor Chris came up here and, and, he, and he referred to me as Pastor Ashley, I went, what? That hasn't been who I am for eight years. And so he got my attention that way. And that's what I think of when we get to our scripture passage this morning. The word of God is amazing and it has so much to offer us. So much to offer us. Sometimes it's beautifully poetic. Sometimes it gives us incredible wisdom. But this morning our passage, I would like to say it gives us a bit of blunt honesty. And it captures your attention. It captures your attention very well. So let's hear it right now. It's going to be on the screen for you, or you can pull out a physical Bible or pull out your phone like I usually do and, and flip through the scripture that way. But I'd like to read for us Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So when we start this passage in verse 25, the first part is really all you get before I like to say that Matthew kind of turns on us a little bit and gets a little bit more blunt. This is the summary statement. In verse 25, the first part says again, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Our sermon series that uh, has been going on for a number of months now is on Jesus changing your everything. And we've heard several months of how Jesus changes your life because of what he has done for us. Because of his death on the cross. Because of the salvation he gives us by faith. And so here, Jesus bluntly tells us to put our anxiety away. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about food or drink. Don't worry about your clothing. Don't worry about these things. The reason he says this, and the reason at the beginning there that he says therefore, is because of what we see previously in verses 20 through to 24. We can't have two masters. We can't say we trust in God, yet continue to worry about things. We have one master, and that is Jesus Christ. But of course, all we have is this, this blanket statement. The summary statement, as I called it. Why? Why shouldn't we worry? This is where Matthew, I like to call it, comes to his slam portion of the text. He says, okay, now listen. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you were here recently when Hillcrest Church encountered Mousegate? Yes. Do any of you not know what Mousegate is? No. If you weren't here that Sunday, now, my wife and I, we almost always sit right there. We sit near the front, and there's a reason I'm telling you this, because when you sit near the front, you can see the front of the stage here. And so on this Sunday, I think it was back in June, we were sitting there and Barrett Croft was speaking that morning. I believe it was Father's Day. And he was speaking that morning and as we're sitting there, all of a sudden we look down and there's a mouse. And the mouse came out and ran to the pew. And then he ran back under the stage. And then a minute later, the mouse ran out again to another part of the pew. And he ran back. And this went on and on for five minutes, I guess. 
And at some point, the mouse finally gathered up his courage, and we noticed him run into the pews. Now, of course, we're sitting here wondering about all the people near the back who have no idea what's going on up here. Barrett did mention it. But we all found out what was going on when somebody at the back there started to scream because the mouse had obviously run up their leg or something. <laughs> that was the point that uh, Mickey or Minnie, we don't know which, decided it was time to get out of here. And he did. He ran. He did that. The most interesting part of that morning, though, that I thought was what Barrett did. You could let something like that really just make you lose your focus. There are lots of things. The, your microphone could go out. The lights could disappear. The sound system could feedback. On that Sunday, it was a mouse running, and you could easily lose your focus. But I noticed how incredibly well Barrett that morning just rolled with what was going on. He mentioned it, he talked about it, and he just incorporated it into his message, and he kept our attention. I know that I was, as I was sitting there, I have a little bit of ADD, and, and uh, I was just thrilled that he kept my attention through all this, and he didn't make me lose my focus just because this mouse happened to be running around. He kept our attention on the Word of God. He did that so well. He keeps our attention by doing what I call the anxiety slam dunk. From verses 25 to 32, Matthew slams us with a whole bunch of examples of why worrying, why anxiety is pointless. Forgive me as I read the text with a bit of, uh, shall we say, a sarcastic lilt to it. Verse 25. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? So this is an argument here. Matthew was arguing from the lesser to the greater. Hey, do you see these lowly birds? I'll feed them. You'll be okay. What about you? You're going to be okay too. I want to show you a picture on the screen here. This picture is my front lawn after the lovely windstorm that we had a number of weeks back. And that is a tree. It is a hot wings maple tree that we had planted, I don't know, two, three, four years ago. We knew that it had been a little bit weak. Um, but as I was getting ready to come home from work that day, I get this text. And my wife had sent me a picture of the tree. It had fallen over in the wind. So the tree fell over. And uh, basically, before I could even do anything about it, our, our son, uh, Andrew, was there. And he ripped it all to shreds and he took it away. I didn't even have time to mourn for the thing. It was gone. But the interesting part about that tree there that morning was that as our son was taking it apart, he comes up and shows us two bird's nests that were in there. And I was looking at these things, and I was like, this tree is young. It's small. It's not that big. I had no idea that there were bird nests in there. But they were there. And now it was gone. They'd lost their home. But do we worry about whether the birds will find a new home, whether they'll be fed, they'll be able to find food? No, we don't. God will take care of them. They'll move on. And we will be taken care of too. 
Matthew slams us here to remind us that our anxiety, our worry is misplaced. A simple example in nature uh, gives us understanding that small things are taken care of and so the bigger ones will be taken care of as well. Can we add one single hour to our life by worry? I love that sentence. We cannot. We cannot do anything to extend our lives. So why worry? Matthew tells us. I can just hear the dripping sarcasm in this sentence. One single hour. There is no point in anxiety. No point in worry. A commentary on this passage tells us this. Gives us this little phrase. Worry is practical atheism. Matthew moves on. Now we go to the flowers. First food, now clothes. Verse 28. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Now, my gardening skills are pretty low. And I love my wife so much, but her gardening skills? No. But I can appreciate a beautiful flower as much as the next person. A month, a month ago or so, my wife and I, we, we went away for a weekend to Minot. We hadn't been for several years. Uh, we had a, a good weekend away. But the drive there and the drive back was just at the perfect time for our prairie lives. We saw fields of canola, beautiful yellow fields of canola. It was a great time to drive through our great province and our neighbor state down below the border. See what Matthew says here in verse 28? He says the word see. See. He's not talking about just take a glance. He's not talking like that. When he says that word see, the word in the Greek is telling us to take a good look Really see what God is doing in nature around us. Take a good look at it. Look at the fields. They're not even trying. Yet they're growing beautifully. They produce the beautiful scenes that my wife and I saw on the way from or to and from Minot. It's gorgeous. And now he mentions Solomon. Not even Solomon is what Matthew says here. In 1 Kings chapter 3, we see just a little snippet of the kind of king Solomon was. I just want to quickly read a passage uh, from that. 1 Kings 3. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people. You have chosen a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? 
the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that they will, that they will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. Solomon, as we know, was a great king, without parallel. Solomon indeed had splendor. The color of royalty in his day was purple. Any of you know that the reason uh, that royalty often had purple as their color was because it was a super expensive and hard to get color in anything. I don't know much about how to create clothes or dye clothes, but I do know and read that it takes thousands, thousands of mollusks and their ink glands to create just one gram of what in that time was Tyrian purple ink. One gram. Obviously only royalty, only kings could afford to have clothing or anything in the color purple. But Matthew gives us hints. Gives us some hints here in our passage about a small little flower. Perhaps the purple anemone. I think we have a picture or two of it. This is an absolutely gorgeous flower and you can just see the purple just is absolutely deep and beautiful to look at. This little flower was dressed more beautifully than the court of Solomon. And what happens to that flower? Tomorrow it's on fire. Tomorrow it's thrown away. Tomorrow it's trampled on. We all know what happens to flowers outside in the winter in Saskatchewan. They're gone. And again, that's what God does with a lowly flower. It's gone. It'll come back. But for now, it's gone. And if that is what our creator does to clothe the ground, how much more will he care about us? The end of this uh, passage here says, you of little faith. That little phrase is interesting. Five times we see that phrase in the New Testament. And four of those times are right here in the book of Matthew. You of little faith, don't worry. Another slam from the gospel writer. So Matthew one more time tells us to listen up, to not worry. Verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. What do we worry about today? What causes anxiety? A recent uh, National Post survey basically said that 41% of Canadians have some sort of anxiety that is just in their lives. It's almost half the population of our country that suffer from some sort of anxiety. Financial difficulty. Social pressures. Workplace struggles. Health issues. Family tensions. This morning I've given you just lots and lots of reasons to abandon your worry, to give up your anxiety. If we stopped here this morning, you could say, all right, yeah, all right. 
there's some really good reasons. I shouldn't worry. I shouldn't be anxious. You could leave from here this morning and say, all right, yeah, I'm going to make some changes in my life. Well done. But as a spiritual lesson, if we end here right now, we'd be missing something special. We must go to verse 33. We must put aside that little sarcastic lilt that we've been talking about through this this passage of Scripture, and we have to go to the next verse. Verse 33. Only then does the Lord open us up to the real and full way to end anxiety in our lives. See this very well-known verse. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is what happens when we replace anxiety and worry by focusing on God. This is where our focus should be as followers of Jesus Christ. This is what takes our advice from being a psychology lecture and takes it and gives it real spiritual basis. Realizing that God in his providence is perfectly able to provide us with whatever it is we need. I can't tell you this morning what God will do with that thing in your life that is causing you anxiety, whatever it might be. I can't tell you what God will do with it. But I will tell you and can tell you the scripture reminds us what the outcome can be in our own hearts, our own lives. He can take it away and put a peace in your heart that renders that anxiety pointless. Anxiety is uh, three things. It's irreverent. It fails to recognize a sustaining God. Anxiety is irrelevant. Worry doesn't change this thing. And anxiety is irresponsible. It just plain wastes time. Joseph Wood Crutch wrote the book, The Twelve Seasons. And a quote from that book uh, says this. Anxiety and distress, interrupted occasionally by pleasure, is the normal course of man's existence. Anxiety and distress, interrupted occasionally by pleasure, is the normal course of man's existence. So in this book, again, the 12 seasons, each month of the year is, shall we say, a bit of a personal odyssey. Let me give you a couple of examples. April, it's spring. And a little peeper, a little frog, announces spring to us. June provides us with the rain that we need for things to grow. September, it brings us the uncertainty of change. December gives us the delight of the first snow. And February, hopelessness. We live in Saskatchewan. What do we think of on February the 10th? A little bit of hopelessness that the winter will never end? The book presents to us a landscape of ups and downs in our emotions, always changing from thing to thing that can cause us that anxiety and worry in our lives. When we succumb to that, when we succumb to these things that come up into our lives, we inevitably can can have anxiety. The solution, of course, is in verse, verse 33, seeking first God. Now, not being a not being an active pastor anymore. Uh, when, I, when I preach, and if I'm preparing a message, I can't just do what I used to do, which is uh, get into the office and a couple of days of hard work and preparing and praying and planning and reading, doing all those things, and I, could, and I could prepare a message in a few days. 
But now, of course, I don't have that kind of time having a full-time job. So I only typically get to work on it in the evening. So as I was getting ready, uh, my message for this morning, I was getting near the end of the message. And I was looking for a good story. There's plenty of stories out there, but I was looking for a really good story about, about how God can be found if we seek after him. That's where I was at in my preparation. And I went into work uh, that next morning, and along comes my partner. Uh, you may know, I don't think she's here. Dawn, are you here? I don't think she's here. I think she's away the weekend. Dawn Gutek, uh, many of you will know, comes to Hillcrest here. And we basically sit for, you know, eight hours a day. We sit about six feet from each other in our little pod. We work at Simpson Seeds. We both do accounting. And, uh, you know, I've talked to her, obviously, a lot. And I had found out from her that uh, they had had this property that they had been looking to sell. And so about maybe once a month, I, I went to her and I talked to her about it. And I said, so how, how's it going? Is, has the property sold? No, no, it hasn't sold yet. The, the market is just, it's just down for that thing where they're trying to get rid of this property. And so a few weeks ago, I, I came in to work that morning and she came in and I just asked her again, so what's going on with that property? And, and the smile came on her face. And she says, well, we haven't sold it yet. But next Sunday, we're, we're, we're going to meet with a couple that, that uh, may want to rent it. And this was actually last Sunday. And they met with that couple, I found out, and uh, they're now renting it. And it just couldn't have been a greater time to put two people, two families together that needed each other. It was very obviously a God moment. When she told me this story, and again, as I was preparing my message... I asked her this question. Do you think this situation could give rise to anxiety and worry in your life? Absolutely. She said it immediately. So I asked her a follow-up question. I asked her, what is your response to this situation being? Without a pause for reflection or to think about it or to think about any anxiety or worry about this property not selling and the financial stress that it could be putting them under, she said this to me. They are trusting God in faith to take care of them and praying over the situation. She and her husband, Michael, are modeling for us. They modeled for me, verse 33. Seek God first. The last verse uh, for our passage this morning is verse 34. Verse 34 says this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I'm sure if we took a poll of everybody in here this morning and said, how many of you have some sort of anxiety in your life or something that could give cause for anxiety or worry? I'm sure most of our hands would go up. You have a doctor's appointment. You have a large bill coming up and you don't know how it's going to be paid. You're waiting for the results of a test or many other things that could be happening. You can make that choice. You can worry and fret over it, or you can turn it over to God and seek him first. Anxiety and worry comes easily. But Matthew in this passage has shown us why worry is just pointless. And instead of that worry, 
putting in place a seeking of God to fill your heart, to fill your mind, to clear you of that worry. The worship team is, uh, I think they're coming up to uh, prepare to lead us in worship for the close of our service this morning. And the song that they're going to be leading us in is a song that I heard for the first time, I, I think back in June. It touched me and I asked them to sing it today. The song is called Tremble. It speaks to the subtleties of fear, of worry, of darkness in your life. What I would encourage you to do this morning is to hear its words and meditate how this passage that we have looked at, how God can fill that void in your life. Hear the words of the song as you are singing them and be reminded about where we can put our fear, where we can put our worry. We can give it to God. Will you give in to fear and worry? Or will you open that void in your life and allow Jesus Christ to be there? Jesus changes our everything. It is your choice this morning to do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being here with us this morning. Thank you for your word and how blunt and how beautiful it is. Thank you for what you do in our lives. Bless us, Lord. May we hear from your word this morning. As we go from here, Lord, I pray that you would just help each one here. Lord, we, I'm sure we all have some sort of anxiety in our lives. Help us, Lord, to know how to put it aside and to seek you first. Help us to put our trust in you to take care of us no matter the situation. Bless us in this, Lord. We praise you and we thank you for being here with us. May we worship you now, Lord, with open hearts and open mouths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.